Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. I've heard from a few people who uh, use this for budget tracking, so they might have like a weekly and a daily budget, and then they register in DataJar whenever they spend some money, so they can kind of follow their budget if they're on track, if they've spent too much, or if they can actually afford one more uh, cafe latte at their favorite coffee shop. And then <laughs> they can pull out their data at a later point, but like maybe all of the expenses they have had throughout a week. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. You may be wondering why the episode's so early. Well, I'm excited to share this episode a bit early because today a brand new app is now available for your iPad called DataJar. This is an app that we discussed on episode 69 of this podcast with Scott. And today I have the developer Simon of the app DataJar to discuss the app and what it can do for you. We also dive a bit into trackpad stuff at the beginning of this episode. But today, April 15th, DataJar is now available, and you can go out to the App Store and grab it right now. If it somehow hasn't propagated to your region yet, you may be able to find a link through the website datajar.app. As a reminder, you can support this podcast a few different ways. The first is just by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Every review is greatly appreciated and helps others find this show. The other way you can support this podcast is through the Patreon over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. You get episodes early and you also get some bonus content depending on what tier you end up picking. With that, here's a special bonus edition of iPad Pros all about data jar. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Simon. Well, thanks. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the iPad world and you have a new app launching soon, data jar, pretty much out by the time you're going to be listening to this. Right. It's uh, super exciting to finally get this uh, app out of the door. It's been a long journey. <laughs> so before we dive into the day jar, I just want to just address trackpad stuff. I'm not sure briefly or how, how long we'll actually spend on it, but uh, it's exciting stuff, especially for kind of pro apps like the ones that you create. First off, I'm just curious, as a developer, what kind of access do you have to the trackpad? It's actually surprisingly flexible from a developer's point of view. And I'm, I'm saying surprisingly here because... Well, honestly, Apple is kind of known for like releasing these somewhat limited APIs now and then. Like often they'll release an API and you're like, oh, but we wish we could do this. It would open up like big possibilities for us uh, as developers. But this one is actually surprisingly like customizable in terms of what you can do as a developer. So maybe we can just give like a brief overview of how, how this works from a developer point of view without going into too much of the, the nitty gritty details. But like basically any view or any part of a view that you're seeing on the screen can have what's called an, a pointer interaction, which basically means that this view or this region of the view can also be just part of a region, can interact with the, the cursor somehow. Now there are different uh, interactions that you can make as a developer. There's namely two things you can tweak. There's, the, there's an effect that is applied when you hover over the this region of the view, or this could be like a, an entire view, could be like a button. Or, um, if you already used iPadOS 13.4, you've seen that whenever you kind of get near to a, a button, it will kind of snap in place. So Apple calls this a magnetism. When it snaps in place, you'll see a square around the button. So that's one of the effects that you can apply. If you're on your home screen and you hover over an app icon, the cursor will kind of slide under the app icon. That's another effect. And there are various of these effects. So that's like part of it. A more interesting part of it, at least in my opinion, is the, the pointer style. And this actually allows developers to make 
completely custom cursors. So whenever you're hovering over something, you can give what's called a path. And the path just draws some shape. That could be a star or a heart or what do I know? Those are probably not the common cursor shapes, but it could also be like a, a crosshair or two arrows to resize something or move some, some UI element around. Developers can uh, customize these completely, give any, any shape that they want. So literally any shape, you have a smiley face cursor if you wanted to. Yeah, sure. And this is only when you're in a hover state. It's not uh, app-wide. It's just during hover state occurrences. It will be for like hover states on U- on certain UI elements. If, if you wanted to change the cursor completely, I guess you could make your entire app some hover horror thing, like a, define a region <laughs> on your, uh, your entire yeah. app. Uh, but that would be a hack. <laughs> I guess that's not part of the, uh, the human interface guidelines. So with this ability... In your apps, what kind of things have you brainstormed of possible ideas of implementation? I've been playing around with it a bit, mostly in an app uh, called JSON, which is like a a JSON file viewer. And part of JSON is a pretty complex uh, windowing slash split hierarchy where users can view one JSON file or multiple JSON files in uh, different splits within the app or in different tabs or in the iPad OS 13's windows. So that's like different levels of uh, navigation you can do in, or like different levels of navigation you can apply to this JSON file. And one of the things I've been working on is uh, some support for dragging and dropping splits. And that's, it has actually been there for a few uh, versions now. So you can reorder your splits and drag them into another tab or take a split and drag it out and create a new window. And whenever you hover over a split, I will now show like four arrows pointing in like up, down, left and right, which is used in, in different uh, Mac OS apps to indicate that something can be moved. And I also think Apple uses it in their pages and like the iWork suit of apps. So that's one of the things I've been playing around with. And of course, like as a developer, you get a lot of things for free in terms of uh, pointer support. So if you've already installed iPadOS 13.4, you'll see that many of the apps that you, you have right now but that developers haven't updated yet already kind of works pretty well with this new pointer system. So when you hover over some buttons, they will already have this magnetic behavior where the cursor will snap in place. But of course, developers can improve this and they can add it to their own buttons. And I've also been doing that uh, in some of my apps. So like this magnetic field kind of makes it easier for the user to point at small UI elements where it will, like when you get nearby, it will snap in place. So you can kind of flick the cursor towards the UI element. And then I've seen system-wide, you can use two-finger scrolling to scroll up or down brightness or volume, are you able to scroll, say, you have a color picker, you can scroll through a a color wheel. Are developers able to access that kind of support? That is a a good question. Like anything that you can already now scroll on the screen with your finger will just work with the cursor. If developers have made anything, any UI component that can currently scroll, like a list or yeah, a scrollable color picker, that will just work. In your actual use of the trackpad, are you finding it useful and helpful? The trackpad is like a game changer for me when using the iPad, especially when doing like text editing, as for example in JSON, or basically any other uh, text editing app, be it the iSuit apps or the iWork suit of apps. But I really think that, that like there's a lot of really uh, great benefits of uh, of the trackpad in terms of, of iPadOS. And it just makes it easier to navigate in, in some circumstances. Using it for the past, what, a week or so, I've really been enjoying it when doing like text editing. Just makes it easier to select things, drag and drop it around. I don't know, those new iPadOS 13 uh, gestures for text editing, I've never really gotten used to those. The magic trackpad, uh, oh yeah, I'm saying the magic trackpad because that's what I'm using now. But 
pointer support in general is just like a huge help for me. I'm really looking forward forward to this Magic uh, Trackpad case. What is it called? The Magic. The Magic Keyboard. Yeah. Are you uh, getting that day one? Is that? Yeah, sure. I was just like when Apple announced it. As soon as I saw the first image, I knew this is something that I wanted. So actually, I didn't read all of the the marketing material about it. I just like went to the online store, wanted to buy it right away. And then got a little sad when the add to bag button was just disabled because we cannot get it until May, right? Right, yeah. So yeah, I'm totally confident that I'll get one of those. Yeah, the design is just remarkable. Floating nature of it is... I, I never was a fan of the smart keyboard folio, and that's one of the reasons I wasn't excited to get the third gen iPad Pro. Mm. So I now have a fourth gen iPad Pro on the way because this magic keyboard is something that seems like an upgrade from... The, the smart keyboard that we have with the second gen. So that, that floating design just seems remarkable in how they're able to do that. No, I'm very curious to see how that's actually going to work in practice. I'm not sure I quite get it from the images. Like, I don't really get the feeling of how well this works. And looking at the images with an iPad floating uh, a few centimeters above the, the table, I kind of fear that this is not going to be great for working in a, like a couch or a bed or like wherever you might want to take your iPad and just sit and write a mail or... Yeah, I mean, in the live videos we've seen... It seems like it's super stable. Yeah. So I'm curious. It will be heavy-ish. I don't know what that means in the, this terms of how heavy an iPad keyboard would be. But yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, we're all curious. Uh, we don't know till May till what this thing will actually be like. No, no. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like I don't know double the weight of the iPad in itself. <laughs> but I would be totally okay with that. I mean, that's that seems like a a fine trade-off for me for having this this trackpad with me all the time on the iPad. Right. And the the one other change, we won't have a microfiber cloth kind of between the screen and the keys anymore, right? It'll just be the plastic keys up against uh, the screen like you have with standard Macs. I had not thought about that. I guess it's time to bring a microfiber cloth with you wherever you go so you can kind of remove the smudges from the screen or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that is. One of the benefits is that you won't be touching the screen so much. So maybe you'll actually have fewer screens just on your screen i don't know yeah it's gonna be a new uh new experience for all of us for sure yeah so let's move ahead to data jar so when is this app releasing sunday 15th of april so it might be out whenever people is listening to this okay yeah excellent i played with the beta a fair bit and i had scott on the show who's we used it back late last year and was talking about it then it seems like a really just handy tool for a lot of just different you know power user things and one of your example shortcuts is solving a problem that i have and that's just finding the price of an app i already own in the app store <laughs> uh, when you do this uh, you have a built-in kind of shortcut that'll grab the info of the app and you can then check it if it's going on sale in the future but one of the cool side effects is within that library you're actually able to look in data jar how much that app costs and as someone that does podcasts about ipad apps i sometimes want to know how much it actually costs because it's i've owned it for many months or a year i don't even know what the current price is and they make it hard to find that out 
uh, otherwise. Yeah, that's pretty difficult to see when you go to the App Store, I guess, when you already own the app. I listened to the episode with Scott and it's like it was super fun to hear basically you two discussing this app that wasn't even released yet, but which Scott was already using. I mean, people have been <laughs> people have been super kind uh, during this beta, but like writing some blog posts, talking about it on podcasts. All the time when I was listening to these podcasts, I was like, but this this isn't even out yet. But it's it's just cool that I guess it must somehow be solving someone's problem, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And for those that didn't listen to the episode, can you kind of give a brief synopsis of what this app is and who it's for? So DataJar is a, is a data store. It's like you can think of it as a global variables. You can put in any data you want into DataJar, it being like a text, a number, Boolean, or even files. You can even store complex objects that you know from shortcuts like dictionaries and lists. And DataJar was designed from the beginning to work with shortcuts. You can use it together with any other app that has support for shortcuts and share the data between those using shortcuts. Or you can use it as, um, yeah, as I said, as global variables. I mean, a lot of people use it as like one-off things where they just need to store something and they need to read it again later, maybe from a different shortcut or, or just further down in a, in a shortcut where they need to, to store something like in a, in a persistent layer that they can use whenever they, they run this shortcut again. And what I've seen uh, so far is when you open up Data Jar, you have organization through colors being visualized your stores and colors is folder support something that is possible in the future you think as people grow their databases and want more organization for the state of their storing here that's it's an interesting idea i never really thought about folders uh, in that sense when you open data jar you will get a list of all the data that you have in your store and those can be nested objects one entry in your store that you will see when you open the app could be an object called api keys if for example you want to store all of your api keys in data jar to use them across uh, multiple shortcuts. I know there's been a lot of people doing the beta that has used it for this. You could have an, a, a dictionary called API keys. And I mean, in that sense, the dictionary really becomes a folder, like somehow, or where you can actually store your API keys in there and reference them by name. So I mean, what would a folder even be in this case? It could kind of be a dictionary, right? Yeah, it would be, right? Yeah. And another just handy built-in shortcut is just a clipboard storing shortcut where you can just say, hey, send my clipboard to data jar and it saves it. And that can be super handy for a lot of different use cases. You don't need a dedicated app anymore. You can just use data jar for that. Right. So that's actually uh, another thing that I got from like people using the beta share different shortcuts with me that as a clipboard manager using data jar. One of the examples in the app is a clipboard manager, but it's the far from the most complex example I've seen. I mean, this is a super simple shortcut that just adds something to your store and then you can read it later. I've seen shortcuts using data jar that implements a clipboard manager, which will like group your data in in different dictionaries or different lists based on the content type of the data. So you can kind of have a clipboard that is uh, all your URLs and a clipboard that's all your files, all your texts and so on. So they're all neatly grouped inside DataJar and you can reference them by type. I mean, people have built really complex uh, clipboard managers using DataJar. That's super cool. So images that are in your clipboard that does work to get saved in there as well, right? Yeah. So the way that the images will get saved is actually in iCloud Drive. So DataJar uses Apple's CloudKit to sync the data between all of your devices. And then it's stored locally in Apple's what's called like core data. Yeah, Apple's underlying database framework that DataJar uses. But if you store uh, an image, it will be stored in iCloud Drive and it will be synced to all of your devices using iCloud Drive. One of the benefits with this is not 
not necessarily for images, but imagine that you wanted to store any other file. So DataJar will treat an image like a regular file, it could be a text file. One of the benefits of that is that you could actually go into iCloud Drive, find your file, and edit it using any other app. What do I know? There are tons of popular text editors, Codex, Textastic, and that data will still, these changes will still be accessible through DataJar because it's just referencing any other file, like a file like any other file. No, that's super handy. So as people build out shortcuts with DataJar, can you walk people through the language and thought process they should have in crafting these shortcuts? What tools are available within DataJar and how do you express that within shortcuts? So there are two main actions in DataJar. One is set value, which takes any value as input. That could be a text or a dictionary. And then the other one is get value, which surprise, surprise, will get a value from your data store. And these works by taking both set value and get value works by taking a key path as input. The key path specifies where to store this data or where to read it from. So key path is like, it's a common uh, phenomenon in uh, programming. Many power users of shortcuts will probably already know it because shortcuts actually supports this in the, the dictionary actions where you can like get values from, you can read values from nested objects in a dictionary. So if you have a a dictionary and that dictionary has a, a key called hello and the value for that key is another dictionary, with like how to say hello in different languages. So it could have uh, values with like uh, English and French, and then the value of those keys would be the, the respective greetings in each language. Well, then you can read a value from that nested dictionary using a key path saying like hello.english to get the, the greeting in English. It got a little technical there, but I hope it makes uh, somewhat sense. Yeah, definitely. So you, you specify a key path that you want to store your data at, and then you, you specify your actual data. And then you can uh, read back your, your data using uh, the get value action at a later point. Now, there's also other actions for like manipulating lists, like appending uh, an item to a list or inserting an item or a value at a specific index in the list. And of course, there's also actions to delete values and even get the type of a value. You might be interested in that, uh, for example, in a clipboard manager where you group things by their value or that type of value, then this might come in handy at some point. What are some other examples of shortcuts you've seen your beta users create with this app? Beta users have been like creating all sorts of uh, amazing shortcuts with this. For use cases, I've never even thought about that you could use this for. Like I've heard from a few people who uh, use this for budget tracking. So they might have like a weekly and a daily budget, and then they register in DataJar whenever they spend some money. So they can kind of follow their budget. If they're on track, if they've spent too much, or if they can actually afford one more coffee latte at their favorite coffee shop. And then <laughs> they can pull out that data at a later point, but like maybe all of the expenses they've had through a week. I heard from a few users who actually use this uh, other app called Charty. think it's still in beta. Uh, when this comes out or it might be released. I don't know. It's currently in beta at least. It's a really amazing app. You can uh, draw charts using shortcuts. And so users pair DataJar with Charty to kind of take all of the the budgeting data and plot it in a chart so they can easily get a like a graphical overview of the budget. And all of this happens inside shortcuts. I think that's pretty amazing. That's really cool. It would be really fascinating to see if you could like OCR a receipt and somehow have that get data into it. I'm not sure if that's a thing yet. I know OCR is baked into the operating system, but I'm not sure if it's shortcuts enabled in that way, though. 
I'm not sure, but you're right that there are some OCR APIs in, in iOS. But I actually think, come to think of it, that this app called uh, Toolbox Pro, which is also like an amazing suit of uh, actions designed for shortcuts, I think it might actually have some actions for doing OCR, but I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, that'd be neat. And then something I just noticed as I was looking through some different things in DataJar, I love that you have a sync health area of the app to just let you know, hey, you're signed in. You have free storage to store the stuff and everything's synced. And I wish more apps would do that. Is that something you've started to implement in your other apps or is this a new idea you've decided to start using with DataJar? The, the sync is a, is a whole story in itself. I mean, up until like January, February, I was not even sure that I would release this app at all because there was just a lot of problems with the syncing. Um, so I spent most of the Christmas holidays and January basically pulling a lot of my current, uh, my, my old syncing logic apart and re-implementing it in like I'm using much different APIs, much newer APIs to do the syncing. The, so the reason for that was that I had a lot of beta testers kind of experiencing pro- problems with the old sync mechanism when I I launched this new synchronization method so i needed some uh, some mechanism that allowed users to verify if the syncing was actually properly working at that point everything seems to work now this is based on a completely different system like to answer your, your actual question kind of got derailed there i've not started implementing this in uh, in any of my other apps so for now data jar is the only app i have that uses apple's cloud kit which is this apple's way of letting developers synchronize data so they have this this framework called cloud kit where you can basically tell CloudKit to upload some data or fetch uh, whatever data the user might have in iCloud. For this app, of course, uh, it's not like any of that data. CloudKit also has some methods of synchronizing your data to to other devices, which relies actually on, on partly on, on push notifications. And I don't really have that need right now in, in any of my other apps. So both JSON and Scriptable are just plain using iCloud Drive for the synchronization, which, at least from a developer's point of view, is much, much simpler than CloudKit. Okay. And as you've been developing this app, have you run into any shortcut limitations that you hope to see lifted this year with what the shortcut team has been working on for the summer? Not really, but up until uh, before WWDC, Apple's developer conference last year, the whole shortcuts integration was implemented completely different. You might not remember this right now, but like until just a few months ago, this uh, summer 2019, we didn't have this whole uh, parameter system in, in shortcuts like where, where third-party shortcuts can take, uh, or at least it wasn't accessible to third-party developers. So third-party shortcuts couldn't take parameters and as input, and they couldn't even provide an output. But all of this changed during the summer of 2019. Yeah, this app could not exist pre pre iOS 13, right? No, so that's actually the thing. It kind of did. I started the development in February 2018, where all of this was just relying on these clipboard workarounds, where you would kind of store something in your clipboard and then. Data jar could read this whatever data from your uh, from your clipboard, and it could output some data to you again using the clipboard. So you would have to get the data from the clipboard again to pass it into another action, and it was a whole mess. But there was a lot of developers who made these workarounds just because they didn't have the parameters and they didn't have the outputs. So at that point, power users of shortcuts was actually quite used to these workarounds. So I thought, oh well, uh, this can work. It's not great. 
but it can work. And of course, I was like secretly hoping that we would get parameters and outputs at WWDC 19. And when we did, it was like a whole game changer for data jar. It, all of a sudden, it just kind of made more sense to have this app. Right. And another, just going back to some of the example shortcuts, one that I just thought was super clever is you go to an IMDB page hit the share sheet and you can rate the movie. And on that rating, you now have a movies area within data jar and has all the movies you've rated. When you click into it or tap into it, you've got the URL of IMDb, your rating, the year the movie came out. And when you actually logged it, if you, I guess if you go back and log it again, you'd have you know different data points of every time you rated it. Yeah. So the example shortcut would store like multiple interests for the same movie. I mean, you could change that. You could see if you've already watched the movie and just modify your rating or update the information in, in any other way. Yeah, so you could go within the app and just change it if you want to as well. Yeah, sure. That was actually one of the one of the very first shortcuts I made for myself using DataJar. I kind of needed a, like a, a very simple mechanism for tracking which movies I had watched and my rating for them. And I just build it using shortcuts and data jar. I know there are like a lot of third-party services that do this, but and they're all, I'm sure they're all good, but it was just way more than I actually needed at that point. And I imagine, would there be a way to actually pull down the artwork, the movie artwork with it in the future iterations of the shortcut? Yeah, sure. There's actually uh, already been some users who have t- tweaked this example shortcut to, to do exactly that. So they would get like a... A nice uh, artwork with the, I don't know, movie poster stored in the, in the shortcut as well. And then once you have all this data within Data Jar, would it be possible then to build out a shortcut to show you all your five-star movies or movies you've rated five years ago you want to watch movies you haven't seen in a while, that kind of thing? The example shortcut stores your movies in a dictionary with like the, the name of the movie being the key and the details of the movie being another dictionary being inside another dictionary. So DataJar has a shortcuts action to kind of get all of the keys of a dictionary. So you could get all of the movie names and then for each of those, just get the actual details of the movie, check if it's something you're interested in, like if it has a rating greater than three and then filter out everything else. And then in the end, you'll have like a, a list of your highest rated movies. So that is that's certainly possible. Okay. That's very cool. And with your other apps, they tie into shortcuts as well. Have you seen people integrating this app with your other apps and shortcuts and kind of making them all play together in interesting ways? I'm sure people have done that. I've gotten some requests for like having data jar integration inside of Scriptable. So you don't actually have to take the, the shortcuts route. You could just have an API in Scriptable, a JavaScript API to uh, read and write data to and from the store. Yeah, so that's, that's certainly some interest in, in like making the different apps interact with each other. But I mean, that's kind of what makes shortcuts so great is that you can just kind of do that. Assuming that an app supports shortcuts, they can already talk to each other. Yeah. And then anything else on DataJar we didn't cover yet that you'd like to before you wrap it up? I think we covered most of it. Okay, excellent. Well, DataJar is out now. Just search in the App Store for DataJar and their website as well for people to find more information about it. Uh, the website is uh, simply datajar.app. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Simon. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, that was my episode with Simon all about DataJar. Go out and download DataJar right now. Learn more at datajar.app. Thanks again to Simon for his time sharing more about this wonderful app. And thanks for your time and touch of the day tuning in to iPad Pros. As a reminder, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and you can support the podcast also at patreon.com slash iPadPros. If you do have feedback for me, you can send that to iPadProsPodcast at gmail.com. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.